At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. To be sad or sorrowful is human, but to lament is Christian. And where is that fine difference? Where do you make that turn? And that's what we see here in Lamentations chapter 5. And what we're going to do today is as we go through this, we're going to kind of see some categorical ways and categories that Jeremiah really walks through. And this is kind of the turning point of this entire collection of poems. Chapter 1 through 4 were all written in a literary form as, a, as, a, as poems. Chapter 5, though, is written completely different. Chapter 5 is actually written as a prayer. And you see it very clearly. And the way that Jeremiah, start, the way that Jeremiah starts off, look at chapter 5, verse 1 with me. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. What we see here is that Jeremiah laments the disgrace of the people. You and I have the opportunity, and we should, lament our disgrace. Now, I don't know if this would be a really good like, business etiquette for you to do, for you to walk in tomorrow morning to your boss and be like, I just want to lament with you my disgrace of being your employee today. I don't know if that's really going to keep your job for you, um, but it's not a common vernacular. It's not a common thing that we do, right? We don't walk around and say, can I tell you about my disgrace this week? I'd love to share that with you. Right? Usually when you hear that word disgrace and you hear people talk about I'm disgraced, it's usually something that's done in private. Right? Hey, I'm going to tell you this, but please don't tell anybody else because it's disgraceful. It's shameful. Disgrace is something that we have chosen as a society to say, we're going to keep this over here where people can't see. But yet what Jeremiah is trying to do and remind us and show us and model for us is that we must lament our disgrace. And what disgrace is he talking about specifically? Look right here. I'm going to summarize verses 1 through 7 here. They have lost their inheritance. They've lost their families. They can't supply for their own needs. They're constantly on the run constantly being pursued. They've succumbed to their oppressors, meaning they've just decided to give up and conform to this conquering nation that's over them now. And then lastly, he says, they bear the sins and failures of those who went before them. Remember, O Lord, what's befallen us. We are disgraced. Have you ever had that feeling before, that moment, or that thought? I'm disgraced. This, this thing, this situation in life, this season of life I'm in, it's disgraceful. What we see here, nowhere throughout chapters 1 through 4 does Jeremiah ever do something that our culture is really, really, really good at doing. Never does he blame shift their disgrace. What blame shifting is, we we actually go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and we can see blame shifting enter into our human condition. 
Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The serpent tempts Eve. She takes the apple or the fruit and she eats it. And God comes down and says, who ate of this fruit that I told you not to do? And who did Eve blame? You can, you can talk a loud. There's kids here. He blamed the serpent. The serpent made me do it. That's the first instance of blame shifting. The next thing is that God begins to speak to Adam. And what does Adam do? The woman you gave me gave me the fruit. Not really great marriage advice, okay? Don't blame shift on your wife, right? But at the very beginning, we see this, this draw towards blame shifting. And what we have to do as believers, as Christians, is own our disgrace, whatever that might be. It is not the world. It is not someone else. It is not all of these things necessarily that bring about your disgrace. Oftentimes, it's our own actions, our own doing. Your disgrace can come about in lots of different ways. Perhaps it is something that comes upon you that you have no control of. Lament that disgrace. Lament the way that that feels. But more often than not, I think many of us as believers, we struggle with something called sin. And I don't know if you know this, but believers in the room, Christians, you are still going to sin. It's still going to happen. But when you sin and you fall into this place of disgrace because of your sin... Do not stay there. Don't stay there. And the reason why you shouldn't stay there is because of somebody and somebody's work that's been done on your behalf says you no longer have to stay in this place of disgrace. Yes, lament your disgrace. Recognize that's the condition of where you are in the moment. But move from that place of disgrace because my mercy is rich and deep and available for you. If you have your Bibles, flip over to the New Testament. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 4. What we see in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, it's a great uh, coffee shop name, by the way. Not really. Um, in Hebrew, if, you own, if you own Hebrews, I'm sorry. I don't, is that a real place? Uh, if you go to the... I need to stop and get back on track. If you go to Hebrews chapter 4, what you see the writer doing is he's trying to guide... Jewish converts. He's trying to help them in their discipleship. He's trying to help them in their spiritual maturity. And listen to what he says. He's referencing, he's referencing what the Jews would have practiced in Jeremiah's time, which was when you sinned, you had to go before a human high priest. You would offer your sacrifice to that human high priest. Then that high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies and make atonement by killing the sacrifice to appease God's wrath against all the people. And it was a human priest. And they used to have to tie a little rope around his ankle because if he went into the holies of holies, they would kind of jingle that rope to make sure he was still alive as he approached the throne of God. And then Jesus comes, Jesus serves, Jesus dies. Jesus rises again, and then Jesus commissions his people to go out and preach the good news. And so look at what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, since then we have a great high priest, no longer a human, but a great high priest who has passed 
through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have, catch this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And this is the key. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you're in a place of disgrace, in confidence, go to God. If you're in a place of disgrace, in confidence, go before him. Lament your disgrace and recognize that God does not sit back on his throne and turn his head towards you, but rather he leans in a little bit closer. And he says, I know. I know everything that you've done. And I still love you. Go and sin no more. We lament our disgrace. Because ultimately what lament should do is lament should always bring us back to God. Rather than go and hide in our pain and our sorrow, we instead should draw near to God. Let's keep going back in Lamentations chapter 5. Lamentations chapter 5. Look at verses 8 through 16. Again, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through and read all of the scripture, but allow me to paraphrase it for us. It, It highlights the condition of the sin and the consequences of the sin of Israel. Repeatedly, God had told them over and over again, this is what you must do, this is what you must do, this is what you must not do. And if you do these things I tell you not to do, you will be punished, you will be judged. Babylon comes in and they are judged through the empire. And then what happens is they become enslaved. A real, intangible enslavement where the Jews have no control of their life. Look what happens in that passage of verses. Women were abused. Men were abused. Elders were abused. Their position as a nation was completely decimated. They were a nation no more. Sometimes we have to lament our enslavement. The Jews had to experience this firsthand. And if you look at the history of the Jewish people, you see over and over and over again an enslavement that happens upon this people. Now, by God's grace, many of us more than likely will never experience what it is to be enslaved physically and tangibly. We won't experience that. So what we have to do to understand what enslavement tangibly feels like is we have to be willing to look at history. We have to be willing to look at these things and say, what is enslavement and why is it such a pain point for so many people? When we look at the 1800s and we look at the condition of African Americans who were taken from their homes and brought to here, it was slavery. They were abused. They had no control of their life. They had no decisions of their own. They had no freedom. Enslavement in our nation's history is a very real and tangible thing. And what happens in the midst of that enslavement, there's one shining ray of light that occurs in the 1800s. Around mid-1800s, things begin to get printed and produced, and they're called spiritual songs. And what these spiritual songs were 
Most of the slaves here in America, they were not allowed to learn how to read or write for whatever reason. They were just not allowed to learn those, those skills. So what they would do, everything was an oral tradition, meaning they would always tell stories of how things were in their homeland, and then they would tell stories and they would sing songs of things that they have heard in order to help them lament. And these songs, these spiritual songs, they were sung on the plantations, they were sung amongst this community of slaves in order to help give some sense of hope for everyone who was enduring their enslavement. And these spirituals today, they were all put into one book by some abolitionists. And this book now is this almost like a sacred thing because you go back and you look at it and you see the pain that people who were slaves actually felt. A little side bit of history. They were also really clever because most of those spiritual songs, I didn't know this until this last week prepping for today, most of those songs also include code words in a special language to help communicate where slaves could go and find the entrance to the Underground Railroad. They use their lament, they use these songs, they use this not only to convey hope, but also to help give a path of the way out. For us today, our enslavement more than likely doesn't come in the form of a physical imprisonment or a lack of freedom to be able to make our own choices. More often than not, our, our enslavement comes from sin. Do you have that kind of sin? There's an honest kid right there. <laughs> but do you have that kind of sin that just enslaves you? You don't know why you do the things that you do. You don't know why your mind defaults to telling lies all the time. You don't know why your mind or your heart or your flesh defaults to say, I want to be selfish in everything that I do in my life. Sometimes you don't know why when you wake up, you're just like, I, there's just no hope. I cannot conquer this sin. There's no point in fighting it anymore. What people experience most, mostly today is enslavement to sin. Christians, remember I said this to you earlier, you are still going to wrestle and deal with sin as a believer. But, but, because of Jesus, you do not have to stay in this place of slavery. You don't have to stay there. You have the ability to move forward. You have the ability to continue to get up and pro progress, progress forward. You have that opportunity, not because of your own strength and your own power, but simply because Jesus knows you, he sees you, he hears you, and he says, I love you, stop sinning, and I will give you my strength to help you in your moments of weakness. You do not have to stay enslaved to sin. But if you are in that place right now today, are you lamenting your enslavement before God? Have you verbalized that slavery? Have you verbalized that sin that you just can't seem to get away from? 
Have you verbalized it before a high and holy king who's sitting on his throne of mercy and grace, not looking away, but looking down at you, saying, come on, tell me. Own the sin that you have so that I can work through you in your weakness and be made strong because of me. We lament our sins. We lament our enslavement. 1 John 1.9, again, another one of those scriptures that should be a beacon of hope for us as believers. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you confessed your sins recently? On the way to church, were you confessing your sin? I was sitting right over there confessing my sin. Not because I'm holier than thou or whatever, but because I recognize the power of this text and the power of God's word and how I still struggle with sin because I am not a perfect man. And if you ever have a preacher tell you that they're a perfect man, just run away. We lament our enslavement. Let's keep going. Lamentations 5. We're coming now towards the end here in verse 17. So we're lamenting our disgrace. We're lamenting our enslavement. And then look at verse 17. For this, our heart has become sick. Let's pause right there for a moment. You know what that feeling is like? You ever had that feeling where you're just sick? Your insides hurt, your heart hurts, your stomach, you don't want to eat, you don't want to drink, you just, you, it's just painful. Maybe it's as a result of your own sin, but maybe it's just a result of loss and pain in your life. Lamenting is not only reserved for when you are in a place of sin. Lamenting is also whenever you are experiencing pain and grief and sorrow. And you just don't want to live. You don't want to do anything anymore. You wake up. You don't want to experience the day. You walk around. You see things. It triggers things in your mind. And you're just sick. And you can't do anything about it. No matter how many times you read your Bible, no matter how many times you pray, no matter how many times you try to sing worship songs, no matter how many times you try to, whatever your thing may be, nothing really seems to help this feeling deep inside of sickness and pain and sorrow. Sometimes it can almost feel like God is totally distant from you. You ever been there? I've been there. It's like an estrangement where it feels like God is estranged from us. Or rather, it should probably be phrased like this, we feel that we are estranged from God. And that's what Jeremiah helps us to see here. We need to lament our estrangement. God, it feels like you are so far away. It feels like all I see around me is darkness. It feels like all I can see and experience is pain and grief and sorrow. It feels, it feels, it feels, it feels. I see no hope. I see nothing. What is the point of my life? Why are you so distant? Why do you feel so far away? But, but, 
Look at verse 19. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. In the midst of feeling that estrangement, in the midst of feeling like you're alone in the dark, in the midst of this sickening feeling deep in your heart, do you remember the truths and the promises of who God is? Your reign is forever. You endure over all nations for all time. It's as if when we're in that place of darkness, it's as if all of a sudden a rope comes into our hand. Or it's as if all of a sudden we see a small little speck of light off in the distance. That speck of light, that lifeline, that rope. God reigns forever. God is here over me. God is with me. God's love for me can never break. God's love for me can never be lost. God's love for me is for all eternity. God's love for me is not because of me, but it's because of Jesus. God's mercy for me is unending. God's hope for me is available. God's grace for me is renewed each and every single day. Are you holding on to those truths and those promises of who God is? Are you holding on to those truths and promises that God is reigning and enduring and over all things in your life? Do you remember him? Do you see him? Are you embracing the truths and the promises of who our God is? Look what Jeremiah continues to go on, verse 20. Why do you forget us, though? You reign forever. You're over all the nations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? You remember our little paradigm from a couple weeks ago? First, we turn towards God. We complain. We ask, right? Right here, it's we're turning towards God. You reign forever. We're asking him, why have you forsaken us? Are you going to forget us forever? We're complaining. You're forsaking us for so many days. And now we're asking him, restore us. Restore us to yourself that we may be restored. Renew us. How many times have you echoed that request and that desire? Restore me, please. Renew me. Please, bring back these things as they were. It's in the darkest of places where we have to, as believers in Jesus, where we have to claim and hold on to the truths and promises of who God is. And then we ask him to restore us, we ask him to renew us, and we trust that he'll do that. Listen to this quote. It's from another pastor in Oklahoma. He says this, trust is a beautiful act of worship. It says to God, I believe in you no matter what season of life I find myself in. Think about that for a moment. Trust is a beautiful act of worship when things don't make sense, when things hurt 
when you feel distant, when you feel lost, are you still able to trust? We can look to Job. Book of Job is a few books before Lamentations. You look to Job and you can see something that he does. I'll have the verses for you on the screen, but Job chapter 1, verse 20. Then Job arose and he tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground in worship. This is a physical demonstration of lament. It's a physical demonstration of sorrow. It's a physical demonstration of, God, I am broken and I am in need. And Job said, naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He trusts in who God is. He trusts in who God sees him to be. He trusts that in this place of pain that God is still there. When we lament, our lament should bring us back towards God, not away from God and his church and his people, but it should bring us even more towards him. We should be reminded that that hope that comes through lamenting is only found and it's only because of Jesus. That Jesus looks at you and he says, I see and I hear your pain. Bring it to me. Put it on my shoulders and I will bear that. I will carry that. And I will give you the strength that you need in order to move forward because I have a plan and a purpose for your life. Not to sit and just receive my goodness and my kindness and my mercy, but for you to take this goodness and this kindness and this mercy and to go and be my disciples in all of the world and to show people and to tell people this good news that I have atoned for all of their sin and all of the consequences from their sin and I am with you until the end of days. Go and share that with people in this world. But in order to do that, church, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to know your emotions. You've got to own your sin. You've got to own your feelings. You've got to lament your estrangement. You've got to lament your enslavement. You've got to lament. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.